You are listening to Unapologetic Talk, brought to you by We The People. Out of your home, into the streets. We are not outnumbered. We are out-organized. The revolution is more than protesting. Unapologetic Talk is another tool to create community here in New York City and eventually all over the world. Stop ignoring politics. Politics affects every single aspect of your life. No matter what we do in the city, they have a coordinated effort, and it's the same fingerprints in the same name. Don't be scared to decolonize your mind. Changing opinions based on new information is how things should work. Bringing some common sense with a little New York disrespect. Leroy Adams, let's talk. We the people, for the people, by the people. Yo, what's up, y'all? It's Brother Rebel. What's good? It's Don Cardia. It's Angie. This is Unapologetic Talk. Um, you know, we you already know we about to get into some current events. You know what I mean? Start the show off. You know what I mean, um, this this episode is gonna be about housing, so we only we're gonna talk about housing, and then we're gonna go into and introduce you know the interview we got. And uh, y'all gonna you know enjoy this interview that we got going on today. But um, I guess first we're gonna get started on you know uh, what happened today in New York. Um, Eric Adams introduced a new robot called the K Five. Uh, they introduced it at Forty um, Second Street um, in, in the subway. I was kind of pissed because I you know you already seen this morning this shit. I tried to. Um, I got the intel. Somebody sent me the picture this morning, one of the comrades, and I tried to shoot over there, but I missed him, you know what I mean, before he got up out of there. But, uh, yeah, you got a, um, you know what I mean? They got another robot. They got another robot on the streets, uh, what, in the subways. This robot, um, I think it, it weighs 400 pounds. 420-pound uh, robot. 420? Yeah, by, like, some security agency who allowed the MIP to lease this robot for like about $9 an hour. Yeah, $9 an hour. For a test run of two months at 42nd Street on the main platform. It's just a, a huge example of a waste of resources, again, reallocated to the NYPD. It's just unnecessary. You know, there's gonna be a babysitting cop watching it. Like, so it already shows that the technology itself is insufficient enough to catch anything even in its test run, it's bullshit. It's unnecessary. Yeah, very strategically, they didn't say how much um, the cop that's going to be babysitting this robot is going to be making. As well. And he, Adams was making a big point about how, like, it's so cost-efficient. Co- cost and, like, he says, like, to make sure they write down that, you know, make sure you write down how good of a job I'm doing by making this cheap, um, which is so funny. Yeah. But yeah, it's not supposed to. It says yeah, it's not supposed to use facial recognition, and it's not going to be recording any audio. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's I guess just there to record, and it has a button if, if anybody needs to be connected to like, I guess a police officer. Even though there's going to be a police officer right next to it, <laughs> um, there's an option for that. But there's a whole way. They they use this um machine before and, and like uh in the malls and everything, and uh, I think they said two thousand yeah in two thousand sixteen they said one of these uh machines ran over you know what I mean a three year old I mean um smashing it smashed his legs or something like that but uh it's um 
These are. It's 120. I mean, 420 pounds, like. Yeah, this um, and, and the, the hours he's supposed to be uh, letting this this uh, robot around the station is just from like 12 to 6. So um, I don't, I don't, I don't, yo, I don't know. They they supposed to be leasing. What did you say? Two months. Too much. So this is another. This is another. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're gonna probably put it on. Eventually, like I said, you know, everything's gonna get replaced with, with with robots. We already see that. You know what I mean? They already doing it to uh, McDonald's. They got a full McDonald's that's that's fully ran by robots. You know what I mean? All robots. You know what I mean? Um, so I mean that's that's the way of the, of the future. And they just like slowly, but like I said, they got a. Uh, they got better high tech robots in the in the back. They just haven't introduced yet. They keep bringing out these rinky dink shits. Like but the it's, drones and stuff. Yeah. That they're using to watch barbecues and shit in New York. And uh, the robot dogs that they were using mm -hmm. in the project. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And all them shits are stupid. When we see them in action, they be flipping over and shit, malfunctioning. But um <laughs> but it's crazy. Like they um like I said, they keep they keep fixing up and doing shit for Times Square. You see, Times Square has got a lot of money. That's their main tourist attraction. But you know, um, Eric Adams, this money, uh, we're not seeing nothing. Like we said, we're not seeing him do nothing for the community that needed. They keep putting more money into uh, Times Square and for these robots and everything to secure that to make these tourists and shit come there and feel safe and shit. But it's all, all man, you, you look at that, you damn near can push that robot over, though. That shit looks stupid as hell, man. It's like a vacuum cleaner, old-ass stupid vacuum cleaner, some shit, man. But, uh, yeah. Now, um, go ahead. What you, what you got What you got for us, Ange? Oh, no, I was going to say, the stupidest shit was that he was trying to make a heart with it. Oh, what? He but put he his hand onto it? Yeah, he put his hand, like, like in a heart oh, shape. Oh, bro, I, I seen that. Bro, I thought he was putting up a crib side. Yo, I ain't know what the fuck. <laughs> yo, I was this nigga throwing up gay size with this nigga, yo. Yeah. <laughs> yo, this nigga crazy, man. I think yeah, no. Mm. Um, no, in other news, I do have uh, international news, I guess you could say. The Caribbean uh, nations, there's... Um, uh, 15, it's a union of economic and political union of 15 states and they are demanding 33 trillion in reparations from European countries like Britain, Spain and France and so they're introducing this and they're also asking for an apology um, psychological help and investment, health investments uh, debt cancellation and technology transfers. So I guess this is just a news to keep an eye on. But yeah, big it's time. happening. We gotta That's see. Big where time. Something to keep an eye on. You know what I mean? Especially if they get it. <laughs> Especially what? if they get it. But goddamn it, right though. They need everything. They need an apology. Everything. We need our apology. Like everybody need their apology from the European company. They need to just go on an apology tour, yo, on everything. Yeah. And get them read your money, everything, bro. Oh, y'all yeah, hope they get it, but that's something like that. That's that's great to see. That's great to see. Yeah, it's gonna be an interesting turnout. However, it turns out it's going to like be very important to talk about. So we're gonna keep an eye on that. Yeah, yeah, big time, big time. Keep tabs on that. We got it. We are also. Uh, find out what happened to all them uh remember all them all them different states over here that was talking about 
you know what I mean, ask for reparations and shit, like, whatever happened to that, like, all that, all that car died, did anybody get anything with shit to die? Yeah, I think that there has, and I know there has been a lot of talks from a lot of places, um, but I don't think anything concrete has happened. I think yeah. that um, the Caribbean states is just, like, the first thing to be, like, actual, like, okay, here's the paperwork. Oh, we serious with it. Yeah. So. Nah, yeah, that's what's up. If anything, they're setting the, the, the blueprint, you know? So yeah, if that yeah. happens, then we kind of have an idea of how it could go for us. Oh, shit. Yeah, they let that shit happen. Oh, they're going to crack the bank. Let that shit come out. The other yeah. thing I, um, I seen, well, well, Rosie sent me this joint, was, um, and I thought this was interesting, I thought people need to know about this, was uh, what was going on in uh, Louisiana. The, um, the Brave City thing where they had a, um, you know, it was a, uh, a warehouse that the nar- uh, nar- narcotics unit, you know what I mean, was using. And they were um, interrogating people there, abusing them. Um, they said, you know, it was crazy. I, I was watching uh, watching something on it today, but they had, um, you know, they brought the captain down there and they tried to ask him. Like, do he know about the stuff going on down there? And he was like, I don't think so. Like, what did he say? I don't think. It was something about, like, he didn't, like, you know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't a definite no. Like, what he's asking him, was it, was it some, like, um, torture and shit going on down there? And he was like, I don't think so. Instead of just straight up saying no. But that's, that's how crazy it is because he couldn't, he couldn't say, like, he couldn't give a definite answer because he's going to look crazy. Right. But it's the fact that he couldn't say that, you know what I mean? And um, he's they, so unaware of what's going on in his own facility. In his own facility, yeah. But this is a this is a warehouse. Yeah, they got police stations. This is in Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And the the the, the most hurtfulest thing that I seen, I hurt my heart so badly, bro. Everybody was black. I didn't see not one white person, bro. I was, no, not niggas doing this to niggas, bro. What's going on? Not black people doing this to black people, bro. I'm talking about torture and everything. These they said they got they got um um they got cameras in the cells, but they don't got it in the actual warehouse where these you know what I mean where the cops are bringing them in and doing them dirty at you know what I mean when they put them in the cell that's where the cameras and everything at and 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 the, like the lawyer was saying. Well, it shouldn't matter if it was cameras anyway because the cops should have their cameras on. You know what I mean? When they interrogating and doing this shit to these people. Um, they've, they've beat up, uh, I think, teenagers. Um, one of the cases was, like, I think it was somebody's grandmother and shit they had, you know, kept in there. It was a whole bunch of shit, man. But um, uh, one of the cops resigned already because the case, the case is hot. You know what I mean? And it's... it's uh. And I believe the cop that resigned is like is somewhere related to the mayor, and that's what I'm saying. They're all black, bro. This shit is nuts, bro. This shit is nuts. But um, it's uh, it's wicked, bro. But it just brought me back because this this wasn't even one of my topics, but I just wanted it because it, it just made me think of it. He resigned, right? So he don't catch these charges or whatever like that, and that's what they do. John Colado in the Bronx. They got they got a street name, John Colado Way. You know what I mean? He got shot. Uh, shot and killed by an officer. What's that precinct we'd be going to? Is it the 46? 42nd. 42nd. The 42nd precinct in the Bronx. Um, they, they, that's not even, that's not the Bronx. That's, uh, Washington Heights. Washington Heights. Heights. Um, all right, so they killed them and and they named the street after them. So the the city don't name the street after them, but 
the dude that killed him was able to stay on the force, and then the dude resigned. He resigned because they're, they're doing an investigation on him. The investigation is still going on. And while they're doing an investigation, because they find out he killed somebody else. Now he just killed John Collado, he killed somebody else, and was still on the force, and both of these killers are, are wicked. But this is what I'm saying. They they like they wait for a little bit, but by this guy still like his nephew still protesting and still like keeping his name alive. This was like keeping them on his ass. So this dude, but this is what I'm saying. This dude resigned. They didn't. They didn't just so he didn't catch no fire. And the police are not going to put this. You know what I mean? Put the report out like, oh, we had a road cop that did this. So he just go ahead and tapped out. So they leave him alone. So don't blow like you know what I mean. But yeah, that's that's. that's it's like taking that. the chicken way out. A lot of these officers do the same tactics to avoid accountability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's the other thing. They, 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 yeah, that's that's what they said about the cop in Baton Rouge too, and also with this cop, they, they, re- they, they, they quit, they resign, and they go to another state mm-hmm. and pick right back up. You feel what I'm saying? <laughs> as long as they ain't get fired, they go somewhere else and pick right back up, and that's how these cops do it, bro. That's wicked. Yeah, there is zero accountability. This goes to, like, the last episode. Same thing. They just know how to avoid accountability. Nobody holds them accountable regardless. Yeah. So it's like, and this will keep happening. Like, honestly, there is no solution. I don't think we'll ever see any cop be held accountable, even if they go to jail and all the things. It's wicked, man. In, it's this, in this oppressive system, once we dismantle this one, create a better one, you know, that fits for everybody. Then, burn it down. You know what I'm saying? Then we can start somewhere. This is not cutting it. What else you got on the list, Ange? Um, that was it for me. I know you have another news uh, with the migrants in the city. Yeah. Um, all right. Far, far as with that, right? Um, they... Talking about the influx of migrants now. Yeah, it's it's the influx and it's but it's 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 the migrants that um are already you know what I mean um situated. <laughs> they got they got you know what I mean they got notices that they got sixty days the single ones the people that that are single you know what I mean so if you don't have a family you know what I mean but you are situated right now by all these migrants coming in they have um if you are single you got sixty days you know what I mean to uh find somewhere else but some of that 60 days is about to be up for about 11,000 of them tomorrow 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 morning (laughs) there's 11,000 migrants migrants that's going to be pushed out that's going to be displaced starting tomorrow you know what I mean I'm getting pushed out of their joints that the ones that are single you know what I mean and they might even use this shit the uh the um propaganda to make it look bad against them because they're gonna do you know what I mean these are gonna be single men and shit. They're gonna be like, oh they're out there committing crimes and all types of shit, bro. And you already uh I don't know if them you know the guys in Staten Island, they're going crazy right now. Yeah. People in Staten I heard Island. Something <laughs> they blocking buses and all types of shit, bro. People in Staten Island. He just changed it to thirty days. Oh he just changed it? Yeah. All right, uh, breaking news, goddammit. It's mm-hmm. not 60 days, it's 30 days. So, yeah. That's like, I just don't understand. I saw something earlier today for Venezuelan uh, migrants. I think they have figured out a pathway to like at least getting some type of work permit so they can legally work here. But again, a lot of these 
people that, okay, now you're getting a permit to work, but now you're going to be kicked out of wherever it is that you're staying. So we're really back at square one. Like, yeah. you know, you need a place to go home and shower and, and do all the things so you can go to work. But that's what that's what they say Eric Adams is supposedly doing because he can't get they can't they can't put these people to work or something like that. So he's supposedly waiting for Congress to uh sign something for these people to be able to go to work. So he's uh they say he's <laughs> making it look crazy so he can say he's actually got something, you know what I mean? Um he's, he's Yeah, so 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 until he could get what he wants from Congress, he's going like, you know what I mean? Just just make it look crazy, pushy. And he's also they said he's also doing it so he can stop other migrants from seeing the commercials and seeing saying like they come to New York. He wants them to see that they're being pushed out on the streets. He wants them to see how they land, you know what I mean? Uh um and he has the news on the sidewalk so they don't like, come here. It's so sad because he's using these people as an example to say, Oh, you shouldn't you shouldn't come here, even though they depict the New York as like a savior like state somewhere yeah sanctuary yeah and here's the thing here's the thing that's not gonna stop anybody it's not it's not because the majority of people that are migrating from any place overall they're running from worse conditions than being Mm -hmm. houseless in new york city you know they're running from gangs from cartels from extreme poverty like of course being houseless in new york city is is poverty but like you know, it's different in, like, some countries. Yeah. So it's, like, this is not stopping nobody. Yeah. You know, there's no what it is. People cross, people lose their lives crossing the border every day. If they're not some scared of that, what makes you think, like, kicking them out of a hotel is going to, it's not, it's not going to help anything, you know? Yeah. Just making things worse. Yeah, some of these people, um, the, the, the ones I met, um, they, you know what I mean? The guy was telling me how he was walking for so many days. He showed me all the, you know what I mean? Showing his feet and stuff. But what the people gotta look at is, yeah, like these people are coming from these worst, these bad conditions and bad places. You come here and make, you know what I mean? And make it to them is just the dream. <laughs> I'm Colombian. <clears throat> Two dollars here. Or I just kind of found out this the other day. My mom told me. Two hundred dollars here is almost Four million pesos, which translates to about, it can get you, let's say over there, you could say it's like $2,000 here. Mm. So $200 here is $2,000 over there. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So even if people come here and make $10 a day, that's way more than they will be making in their country. You know, so it's like these conditions are not going to stop anybody. It's just it's making things worse. And I, I honestly, I feel bad for everybody. And what's crazy is that we do have the space. We do have the empty places. Mm-hmm. Half of New York City is empty. Mm-hmm. All these buildings are empty. There is space. Um, but, you know, capitalism. Man, let them people get some of them condemned be on the buildings and watch what they do with it. Yeah. Really? Yeah, watch what done. they do with them. Because New York City is ready to hire these people as essential workers to help their, like, militarized soldiers and the police and shit. Like, they're ready to hook them up to be doctors and, like, grocery store workers and delivery people to deliver their food for the middle class and working class. But these people, they can cook and clean their own food and, like, make their own space. And, like you said, the multiple empty houses and apartments and hotels that we already have. Like, we can definitely utilize the space as a community for these people yeah. and for the people that we already have 
struggling with houselessness in New York City. Yeah. I think that was it for the new the quick news. Yeah. And that bring I mean it brings where we talking about houses so I'm gonna slide yeah. right back in, slides right yeah. in. To our that next guest. Yeah, right. yes, we talk about our own little shit real quick. Uh, yeah, uh, talk about your own little spirits real quick before we get into that. Uh, but um, I just yeah, cause I, was, I definitely want to share my little house experience. It was um, well, I don't want to share it like it was like 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 a, like a happy time, but you know what I mean. Um, important shit. Yeah, just important. It's just like like boom, cause I'm gonna tell y'all some shit that I ain't never like boom boom. Um, but. Yeah, it's crazy because I can tell y'all, but like, you know what I mean, before I was in this, in this, in this, you know what I mean, in the movement, you know, I was like embarrassed to tell that shit, but, you know, um, and it's nothing, but, you know, um, I, when, when, uh, you know, when, when I was in the shelter and everything, we, um, you know, I used to tell my friends and shit that, um, I was bad, so my mom sent me to Jersey, you know what I mean? But it wasn't, it was because we we were moving from like, like you know what I mean, house to house. But it wasn't house to house. My mom had me moved from school to school. We were going to the shelters, you know what I'm saying? But um, it was, uh, dang. Yeah, that's where I, you know what I mean? Why I, I think that like all, all all our experiences and shit we go through Moses into where we are now. So when I was in, um, I was in, I was in fifth grade. Yeah, I was in fifth grade. Um, we, you know, um, my mom was pregnant with uh, my sister, and boom, she already had three of us. So we we um, yeah, we was in the shelter. Um, my my sister dad, he was uh, he had got he had got locked up, you know, um, uh, fighting a murder charge, and yeah, um, she she couldn't, you know, what I mean, she was in she was in hair school, so he was like the provider at that time, so boom, he was, you know, what I mean, he was gone, and we didn't have no way, so you know, we had to we had to check into the shelter and shit. Um, when we was, was there, it was a woman's shelter. It was a woman's shelter. And uh, the people that's, that's watching this that know the area is uh, called Sarah's House. But, um, it's, it's, you know what I mean, it's, it's a little close to the Baltimore area. So it had a lot of women that were uh, battered and beaten from, uh, you know, from that area, uh, from the Baltimore area. And that's where, you know, I learned a lot. This is just, just being in, there, in that shelter, you know, I learned a lot. Um, uh, I was in there, you know, the, the most people, like, it was like, it was... It was houseless. It was a lot of houseless women, but the majority of the women in there were, um, you know, uh, battered women that come from uh, domestic violence. Domestic violence. Yeah, and and you know what I mean. Some had kids and everything. So like like being in there, like molded a lot of me and seeing and that and like going to you know um, going to those meetings and stuff. With my mom and and sitting down there and listening to their stories and you know uh, bonding with those kids and and. It, 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 you know what I mean? It, 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 it changed a lot in me and everything. But it was like, you know, my, my friends, I never like told them where I was at. They saw like, well, we, you know what I mean? Where, where was I going home to where I was going to the shelter? And uh, that was that was the only time I've been, uh, I guess, like my family was house. I've been, the most I've been housed, I think it was probably like for two weeks. You know what I mean? And that's being like kicked out and didn't have nowhere to go. And we just sleeping out on the streets like for two weeks and sleeping on porches and shit like that. But I ain't, I ain't really like learning nothing like that because I was uh, hustling and shit. But 
I know you got a you got a story, Tom. Yeah, no, but your story that's that's fucking traumatic as fuck. Like oh, yeah, yeah. to like uh, yeah, I've dealt with the having to lie to like friends, be like, Yeah, you know, I'm good. Like but, thinking about where you sleeping at, you're yeah. like, Yeah, yeah, you good, you go. yeah. they be like, You're home safe, you're like, Yeah, you too. Nah, bro, you too. Did, I'm gonna you know tell you saying? like the I'm part saying. that killed me was um we was uh like I said, it was my school. My school was crazy, but because I was tall, you know what I mean. I was uh, I, when I was in fourth grade there, I was, I was, I was, you know what I mean. I was taller than my teacher. I was probably, yeah, I was, I was, I was reaching six foot by then, you know what I mean. But I was taller. I got a picture. I'm taller than everybody. In the, you know what I mean. Tall, standing over top of my teacher type shit. Everybody standing in my waist. But um, you know what I mean. I was, I was. Everybody knew me at the school, but I didn't know they knew my situation. Not 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 my people, but the teachers and and the, the principal. My mom had talked to them, mm-hmm. and it was this. Uh, they had, you know, what I mean, they they talked about every day. They was talking about how we got raised money money for this family, and it was this jar that they, they had in front. That it was at every lunch, people would you know, what I mean, go up there and put money in the jar, and I would put money in that bitch every day. And then like the day that I was leaving and shit, where my mom was like taking me out to school, and we went to the office, and. uh um, I was saying bye to everybody, saying bye, boom, boom, boom. And, and my mom was like, this school got something for you, you know what I mean? And and they came out and they brought that fucking, that, that jar. And I started, like, looked at it. And I was just like, I was kind of embarrassed, but I was like, boom, I was like kind of happy too. And I just like, I remember just like, like, like crying, but I was just like, you know what I mean? Like, damn. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. What's crazy is you putting money in that jar, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, no, and it, it goes to show you that, like, if, if there's something I've learned in life is that those that have the least have the biggest humanity. It's so crazy to me. Mm-hmm. You putting money in that jar, knowing them well, you know, like, maybe you didn't have it at that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know that's the crazy part. Cause I was like, you know what I mean? Like, but it was just like, I guess cause I was going through it. So I'm like, I'm going through it. And, and it's like, boom, they raise the money. So I'm like, boom, somebody, they, they, shit, we struggling too. <laughs> yeah. And with that humanity, like if this world ran with that humanity, situations like this wouldn't happen, you know, as, or at least not as often as it does. Yeah. Thank you. How's this? this? Oh, fuck you, Eric Adams, yo. You think we just some, like, ignorant-ass bitches, but this shit affects us, too. Like, that's why we're so emotional and we're so, you know, adamant about these changes because it not only affects us, but affects our friends and our families and, you know, our our other community members that we just see on a daily. It's just not okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. 
Yeah, so basically, I don't know, houseless, houselessness was always a big, like, hard-hitting, heavy topic for me because, I don't know, my morals, every time I seen a, a homeless person on the streets, you know, I just, it hit me differently. Just think, like, someone would not be able to just know where their next bed is, where their next um, comfortable spot to lay their head is, or wash their clothing. I was very, like, fortunate as a kid, you know, growing up, like, I always had everything. I always had somewhere to lay, or I always had, like, a shower. Um, my grandmother raised me, so I was very, very fortunate uh, to have, like, my own room as, as a young, young kid. But during high school, um, I was just going through a lot with with family, with school, emotionally, mentally. And I was like learning my sexuality. I was like uh, learning what mental health issues are. And like, I don't know, it was just, it was a lot. It was just high school, you know, it's like a life changing time period um, in anybody's life. And my junior year of high school, I ended up getting into a really severe argument with my family members, my grandmother and my uncle. And I ended up getting kicked out um, of my childhood apartment that I had grown up in. That was the only place I lived in my entire life. Like I was very, like I said, very spoiled. So I didn't know like what it was like to move or anything. It, it just happened so abruptly. Um, they just really didn't agree with like my lifestyle choices as they said like my sexuality like the fact that I started failing in school because of my mental illnesses and like uh, I wasn't in the best relationship so I was just in very toxic environments overall and um yeah, yeah I ended up getting kicked out and I I was just like what the fuck am I gonna do like I just in the heat of the moment, I just packed my bags, and I was just like, okay, I'm just going to figure it out. And I ended up leaving with um, an ex at the time. But, you know, this is high school, but we had dated for, like, a year. So I felt like it was the most serious relationship I could depend on at the time. But, you know, I was young. I was, like, 16, like, so I ended up being very codependent. Like, I ended up... I just started protesting, so like a lot of my morals and ideals were changing. So I started um, disagreeing with the nine to five work environment, like having to have a regular job or wanting to go to college or like being gay. Like, so um, that was just like a target to just get me out the house. They just didn't want that um, expense with someone who just didn't agree with them. So I don't know. I, I just became at an expense, so I just, once I was kicked out, I was like, I'm just going to go take care of myself. Um, so from 16 to 17, I was homeless like, for about a year. And, um, uh, <laughs> don't look at me like that, y'all. <laughs> and like I said, I started protesting, so I was fortunate enough to find community <laughs> and stuff. Um while I was homeless. That's what you found city hall? Yeah. I found it like like a month 
after I got kicked out. So I was really lucky. But um, I was just like couch surfing with family members or friends. But I really didn't have anything to call my own. But like I was fortunate enough not to be on the street or anything, except for like um, my choosing. Like when I stayed nights at City Hall to hold space, like I saw there was other homeless people there and I was like, oh shit, you know, like, community, (laughs) you know, just so fucked up. But like, I was like, okay, you know, I I don't mind holding space with these people, these people. But um, then I, I remember there was like safe houses and stuff like that. So we stayed for like weeks at a time. Um. But after a while, I just, I got comfortable enough where I had spaces to keep my stuff. And I have emotional support animal. Like, so I had somewhere to keep him. Uh, He was there with me throughout my whole, like, homelessness period of my life. I don't know. I just, I was very fortunate in, like, the environments that I just placed myself in. So, I, I, it was a very fortunate homeless this experience but you know I feel like nobody should I wouldn't have wished that on anybody like but <clears throat> after a year I ended up saving enough saving up enough so I got my own apartment and I was I was focused on like keeping myself housed after that but I, I ended up getting kicked out of that apartment like a year later <laughs> My um, landlord was like some white dude from Russia or something like that who gentrified the fucking community I was in Harlem. I was at in Harlem. Uh, After that, like, I ended up getting a place in Brooklyn. That place ended up getting gentrified as well. They were trying to raise the rent. But, like, there was, like, rodents in the home and like bugs and like there was mold and like the, it was just an old New York apartment that was not up to par you know uh, hygienically and like I was acting within my rights you know to like hold off rent after a while because the damages just started becoming too much of an expense like the cost to fix the apartment cost more than the actual rent so I was telling my landlord that they didn't fix it Ended up changing the locks on me one day when I wasn't even there. Like, it kicked me the fuck out. So I got kicked out of that apartment. Like, but luckily enough, I had community. Community. Yeah, Yeah, community. Community. It'll be in the the activist household now, so, you know. Fuck it. Yeah. 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 Talk towards the edge. Um, no, I mean, with me, I've been very fortunate my whole life. My parents, even if we struggle with housing, I never experienced houselessness until I was 18 and I chose to leave my home by my choice. Like, nobody kicked me out. That was just kind of me, like, not fitting in and not having a good mental, not being in a good mental space where I was living at, which was with my parents. Um, and so I decided to move at 18 and thinking everything was sweet and nice and easy. 
Again, yeah, same here. Very fortunate. I found, you know, my husband and all of my friends, which became my community. So even though we all struggle, we've done slept five of us in one room for months, you know, just trying to like make it through or whatever. Um, So my time with houselessness, it was very short, maybe like two months, but it was like that. It was like, we never slept outside. Um, My husband and I, we were always together and we always used to have that friend's house. Um, But all of this to say, even though we are not going through that part of like houselessness anymore and that experience, Mm-hmm. None of us really have a stable housing, right? To me, I'm currently, like, it, it, unfortunately, well, I was living in Bushwick. You guys remember the cute little apartment. Mm-hmm. Again, same thing. Too many damages. Dirty as hell. And they wanted to charge me almost $3,500 for an apartment. That's what's crazy. Was bro. Just like a kid. When I moved that. in that apartment, it was, like, 2020, end of 2020. The whole building was full of, like, Spanish families, you know, from Central America or South America. By the time I moved out earlier this year, all white people. I remember that shit. I remember when they was coming in there. Yeah. <laughs> we was doing the mutual aid and the motherfuckers was coming down the steps. <laughs> and I will make them uncomfortable and I will always get into arguments with them. But at the end of the day, these are people that don't care that they're paying almost $4,000 for a building that doesn't even get cleaned. You know what I'm saying? So it's no, like they don't care. It's so crazy to me because... I'm just like, if I'm paying the money, whatever, but like, at least like, you know, mop it. I don't know. And I found out like my landlord owns, they, it was a company. They owed almost 2000 buildings in, in New York city. And so it's like, at that point, now I'm just kind of sacrificing my mental health a little bit. And I'm staying with my parents until I will figure out the next thing. Um, out here, it's a little bit cheaper than New York city right now. So that's kind of like, we chose this way. But also out here, it's really isolating and really, like, not a vibe. So, again, it's, like, it's kind of, like, we're always going to have to sacrifice something because we can't afford to, like, live where we want to live comfortably, you know? Only people that have hella money, and it's not, like, comfortably money, but you have to have hella money to live comfortably in New York City. To live in an apartment that's not filled with mold, that's not, not being taken care of, that the landlord is not an asshole. Like, you have to have money yeah and so i mean but yeah but i feel like we should i should definitely give a shout out to the people in 2020 i know that the people that protested you know a lot of things went wrong we were all experimenting none of us really knew what the hell community meant and what it was gonna be um but i think that there were so many people within all these spaces that we were in 2020 2021 2022 and now that have helped so many people like us. I was able to get my old apartment because of those same people, you know, and yeah. I know they have helped many, many, yeah. yeah, they have held many, many of us down. Yeah. There's too many names to name. I'm sure yeah. we all know who they are yeah. and they know who they are, but like definitely shout out to that because New York City does have this little community that's not really known about, but we really got each other's back, even if we don't really like each other. We still yeah, yeah, word up. Niggas be pulling it for each other. Yeah, word up. Yeah. And so, but yeah, but like that's the situation here in New York City. You can't afford rent. Now you can buy houses. 
right? All the houses are going up crazy in prices. And <laughs> most houses that are being bought are being bought by big companies or investors. So they're not even being bought by regular people at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now when nobody can afford rent or to buy a house. Like, I don't understand. The revolution, goddammit. So what Tupac said? No, yeah. At some point, the New York City community, everybody that most of us, it's really most of us. Like that's I think that's what's crazy to me that people don't realize that it's most of us that can't pay rent. Yeah. It's most of us. So it's like if we all stop paying rent, what's gonna right happen? Is it going to increase this year? It'd be buggy, bro. They'd be like, you need 40 times the rent. Who really makes 40 times the rent? If I made 40 times the rent, I would invest in a house. I would buy the whole building. I wouldn't just rent it. You know what I'm saying? If I did not take this house the revolutionary way, I would be in Jersey back in Jersey, bro, probably cooking still. Like, nah, I'm back. (laughs) I'm back in the kitchen, baby. Sometimes I think about this all the time. Really, it takes one day for us to get together and not work, not spend, not do nothing, not waste, not one cent. And this com- this economy will crash. Just what? Like New York. what? One no. day, these motherfuckers will learn. But that's the problem. People are too afraid. Nobody wants to lose their job. Nah, Nobody, yeah. You know, people feel like they have too much to lose. But really, we have too much to win. Like, if too we much were to You know what we got to do? We got to do another Blackout Tuesday. Yeah, do another Blackout Tuesday, but fuck the black boxes on social media. <laughs> just blackout. Everybody say you're going to come to work and don't. If everybody yeah. say they're going to come and everybody cancel, who's going to come in? Nobody. Just, so yeah. then, boom. Like, it's too late to find a replacement. <laughs> Nobody's going to work. Everybody just get baby. This is why we talking about, talking about that shit. Just real quick on some shutdown shit. The schools are rising and, and COVID and shit. They're not talking about that shit. And they telling, they telling it, they telling, they telling it that uh, parents not to talk about it and shit like that. You know what I mean? They saying that they want, they, they don't want this shit to spread out and get the word because they have to start shutting down schools again. And when I, I, you know, I wish, you know that means yeah, they don't, they they don't want schools, that. When they schools, that means parents have to stay home and watch their kids, and that means no more money for them. Yeah, uh, all I'm saying is if, if. I hope it keeps rising. I hope it's shut down again. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and I hope we outside, <laughs> goddammit. Oh, no, it's all, yo, that. when niggas, when niggas got shut down, that's when shit turned up, niggas. <laughs> I know, that's what I'm saying. That's when niggas wake up. That's when you had to watch police brutality and say, oh, I'm coming out back outside, nigga. Fuck what they talking about. No, I do hope people have a reason to come back outside again. That's what I will say. <laughs> I don't hope COVID rises. <laughs> now we're going to introduce... Emma, who is honestly someone I look up to, um, they are amazing in the work that they do. They are amazing in the way that they speak, everything that they do and they say, honestly. Um, and yeah, I think this episode is going to be a lot of good information for those people that are privileged enough to not care about the housing crisis that's been going on here. Yeah. Um, and yeah. 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 All right. Today we're going to be interviewing a good friend of mine's. Um, we started out here in City Hall. Um, my friend Emma. Um, they organized one of the head organizers at Yah. Um, go ahead, tell us about that. 
Tell us about the work that you do, Emma. Um, thank you for having me. My name's Emma. My pronouns are she, they. Um, and yeah, I'm an organizer with the Youth Alliance for Housing, or YA, as we call it. Um, and we're a collective of young people in New York City um, who are fighting to radically transform the housing system in America. Um, so, you know, I think that the tenants movement has been building a lot of power, um, but there's consistently no young people there. And so we're specifically organizing young people um, into the broader tenants movement because, yeah, young people are tenants too. Um, and I think that the, the radical autonomy of young people is vital for everybody's liberation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's one of the things I, I realized out here too is, um, you know, getting the youth and even like the movements back in the day, you know, it was the youth that um, started a lot of this. So um, I also wonder how, how long have you been doing this? Working with them or like organizing? We're organizing, organizing and working, and working with, with them. Yeah, yeah, bringing um, in. I think that like, yeah, I think I've always been organizing. I think that you've probably always been organizing. I think that in the ways that, you know, my answer to that might have been different um, a few years ago, but I think that, yeah, I've started to recognize how organizing um, is really just like being able to connect with your community and be building power and be building new like interdependent systems with one another, whether that be like with your friends, with your family, with the way that you choose to like you know, um, show up in your community. Um, so in that sense, I guess I always been organizing. Um, yeah. Once I was like, uh, just started a high school, I was doing like electoral organizing. And I think I got radicalized out of that space like really fast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, by the time I was like 16, I had worked on like three campaigns. I was like the field director for a campaign. Um, and then by the time I was 17, I was like, I'm never working on a campaign ever again, <laughs> um, or at least an electoral campaign. Um, and yeah, from there, I started working in a lot of different issue-focused campaigns or like different spaces with a lot of young people. Mm -hmm. um, I did a lot of work with like transit justice and education justice in high school. So um, in high school, I created this group um, and we were able to like change it so um, everybody who received like a half fare Metro card, um, all now get full fare three rides a day. Um, so we were able to like think of that and run that campaign. And that was also only the first step to like transit justice for students. And like now I'm not organizing with that anymore, but the group that, um, was created is still doing that work, which That's is fine. really dope. Um, and then a lot of stuff in like education justice, um, and school integration new york city is like one of the most segregated school systems in the country mm. um so growing up in those public schools um yeah that became really prevalent to me um and yeah i think from there i just kind of like uh started doing a lot of different types of organizing and i really realized that i wanted to be focusing on like building the power of young people um and then, yeah, that kind of brought me to the Youth Alliance for Housing. I was doing um, some tenant organizing, and I was always the only young person in all these spaces. I would go to these meetings. We would go to these actions. I was the only young person there. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, we they this other community organization asked me to, to organize, like, a listening session for young people. Um, they called it, and, and it was basically just, like, get more young people into the, like, housing justice spaces and things like that. 
And that was like two days before school shut down because of COVID. Mm. Um, and so we had that meeting in person and then that became a series of trainings. Um, and then it started to realize, like we all started to realize this is a really important like community space, especially for young people and COVID just hit and it's like, now our living conditions at home are our learning conditions, are our testing conditions. Um, and we just kept meeting. And then by September, yeah, we, we were creating the Youth Alliance for Housing. Um, and then true. by that December, we officially launched. Okay, so what, what, okay, so what radicalized you out of electoral politics? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I worked on my, like, it was just like an internship after school. I worked on my first electoral campaign. I was like 14, 15, until I was like 17. And I think I, I'm really glad that that happened to me like so young. Where, and I was like radicalized out of those spaces pretty fast. And I think it was ultimately just like, I'm busting my ass, knocking on people's doors. And then I'm asking them for like a vote and money. And I want to be talking to them about like, what are the issues that you're facing? What are the changes you want to see in your community? What is your vision for the future? You know, I want them to like join the movement. I don't want their vote and their money. And I also think I realized also pretty fast and young that like politics is not going to save us. Like there's no politician who can be our savior. Like they are not comrades. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, that like politics and politics is like is not our path toward liberation. The kind of world that I've envisioned, like that cannot be built through voting. Now, I still vote, you know, I still vote. I still think it's like important in terms of like our everyday life. Like, you know, we talk about like Eric Adam is is fucked. You know, I wish that dude wasn't our mayor. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not going to like spend my time and energy campaigning for mayor um but i'm still gonna vote and i still think it like has certain impact but i also think that like i'm a little like hesitant to say that completely because i do think that um yeah ultimately like the shit that i want to see and the shit that i want to build like that can never be achieved through like politics yeah. um but yeah i guess to also share a little bit more about me and like why I do this work and what even brought me there in the first place. Um, so I'm like Asian, obviously. And I was raised by um, white people and I was like adopted from China. And then um, I grew up with my mom, who's a single mom. And she's also an immigrant and kind of like the white immigrant experience is also very different. Here in New York. Um, here in New York. And then I moved around all the time. And then in high school when I was starting to do like a lot of this work, like I was living in Central Harlem on 125th. Um, and I would always say like, yeah, I'm just like this little Asian girl with this like white single mom in Central Harlem. And it's very like intersectional and interesting experience. Um, and I think it gave me a lot of social awareness from a young age. Um, and yeah, like I was, I was adopted from China and like in that orphanage, they distributed vaccines without clean needles and I got hepatitis C from the orphanage. And I think you can even just look at like the politics of why there are so many like young um, girls and, and like vagina owners um, who are being like given up for adoption. And you know, like how a lot of the circumstances of my personal life, you know, the personal is political, 
Um, and I, I realized that very young. Um, and then, yeah, just the experience of being like a person of color, being raised by like a white person. And I think there's a lot of like stereotypes, especially of like transracial adoptees, you know, that you're adopted into this like wealthy nuclear family. And like that was not the case for me, you know? And I think that, um, yeah, that's also what really like brought me to this work, you know? And I found a lot of like really strong community that I didn't have anywhere else. You know, I didn't have that at home. I didn't have that in my family. Um, I didn't have that at school and stuff. So I was able to, you know, I, I was brought to these spaces because I cared about the issues and I kind of stayed because I realized like, oh, these people are taking care of me. They're feeding me, you know? I'm finding a lot of like community and love and solidarity. And I realized like that's really how we change this world and also how like I'm able to change my own life. Mm -hmm. um, it's through like the community that I'm able to find through this work. It, it, um, as a as a kid, it's crazy because that's what I'm saying. Like, this the work that we're doing and um the work that you've been doing since you're 14. But as, as a 14 year old kid, you know what I mean. I, I'm in the garage or in my room with my friends playing video games. I, I was doing that too. Not yeah, the garage, but then you were also <laughs> like, but you were also organizing. And I think that's like, just like, you know what I mean? That's amazing to me. That's what I'm saying. And even like the age you are now still organizing and, and how hard you are and, and the movement that you, you know, got going on. And, and um, that's what, I, like I said, I want to get into is like um, working with the youth because that's the future. That's who, yeah. that's everything we're fighting for is for the youth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, and I think also like, yeah, like I'm 21 years old right now. Mm -hmm. I've moved. Like I, I have to count. I don't know specifically, but probably like something like 19 times in my life, right? And I moved for like all sorts of different types of reasons, you know, from, I've lived in all sorts of different types of housing conditions from like fancy doormen, high rises to like illegal nine floor walk-ups, you know, like every different type of housing situation. Um, and I think that I also like really wanna be organizing young people into the tenants movement um, and doing this work because it's like, yeah, young people don't see themselves as, you know, it's, it's like, oh, I've never been unhoused. Like, that doesn't mean that housing doesn't impact me, you know? Um, and I really believe, and especially for young people, that like, you know, we can do all of this work with policies and stuff, you know, and this goes back to like the electoral um, stuff and why I don't do that work anymore, where it's like, yeah, we can fight as much as we want for policy, policies for like affordable, safe housing, you know, with good conditions and all these other things. Um, but like, I truly believe we will never have safe housing if we aren't safe within ourselves, within our bodies, within our families, Talk. within our interpersonal relationships and within our communities and stuff. So it's like, that's the work I wanna be doing. Cause it's like, if you live in a violent household and you're a young person, you know, if you're, you know, for so many young people, home is like a place where um, they don't feel safe. You know, for a lot of others, you know, at home is a place where they're not welcome. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, then what? You know, policies aren't gonna save me. At all, yeah. So we need to be doing the work with each other to, you know, be changing that, where it's like, we should be able to feel safe in our relationships and feel safe within our homes. Exactly. Mm. All right. So what, what, what's the, um, what's the hardest part of organizing that you think is? I think that it's like, I think 
like I was saying before, how like I feel like organizing is is more than just organizing, but it's also kind of if we're really dedicated to this work at a personal level, it has to be something that you consciously do like every day exactly. inside of your mind, you mm -hmm. know, work that nobody else sees. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's like the hardest part. You know, I think that the work that we're trying to do to build community and build power um, is deeply like countercultural, and we have to be building and like be dedicated to different cultures. Yeah. And that's like a really conscious yeah. and difficult choice because we're being like brainwashed, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's not, it doesn't feel natural, you know, because yeah. it's, it has to go against our instincts because we've been taught to instinctively, you know, be like individualistic when that's actually not like the natural way for us to live, but that's how like our society tells us we'll survive. So I think it's just like the everyday conscious decisions of having to be like, this is how I want to live my life. This is how I want to, you know, connect with people this is how i want to like respond to harm mm -hmm. um i think that's definitely like the hardest part but also the most yeah. rewarding yeah yeah yeah, exactly yeah the most rewarding is the most hard to us it's yeah. both gift and the curse um what motivates you to keep going me i think it's really just like a deep um hope for the future and like belief that uh things can get better you know i think that often um she can feel I can feel really angry um, and I think what's like motivated that and, and not like made me stuck in this feeling of like rage is like the feeling of being able to be like, oh, there's hope for the things that we can create and like the deep feeling of like love and solidarity mm -hmm. with other people, um, I think definitely motivates me. What about you? Yeah, that's the same thing. Like um, uh, what, what motivates me is... Uh I guess to keep, I, I don't know, like, um, well, you see, what we do on the corner of we, what we the people, yeah. you know, that um, motivates me to see, you know, um, when we started off, it was rough. It was crazy. Um, dealing with the lines and, and just even having the patience, but just, you know, having the patience to stick with it and just seeing how it is now and how the people are responding now from, from them showing up to the line and cussing us out and being disgruntled to each other to, everybody's helping each other out like you know what i mean um last week two people were arguing and i, I sat there and i watched you know what i mean just to watch and to seeing another person come out the line and boom piece it out and everybody was good and i was like all right i didn't even have to you know what i mean everybody's yeah so that that's it's what like makes built me a like community ah, and yeah a culture. like it's coming yeah it's coming and that's um just um yeah just i guess on the block just knowing that, like, if I need that community right there, we built that and, like, yeah. that community, you know what I mean? We we here for each other. Um, Somebody got, you know, um, somebody from Bedford and Ostrom was on, like, by Central, what's the Central Station? What's, what's, what's the, um, Grand Central? Oh. All right, there's that Grand Central getting harassed by the cops, you know what I mean? And they, like, FaceTime me. And I was able to go over there, you know, diffuse it and, and bring them back, get them, uh, get them an Uber somewhere. So that's like stuff like that. It's just like, ah, like just building community and, and seeing that is responding and we, we, you know what I mean? So yeah, that's, it's, it's a, yeah, like you said, it's a reward in itself. But, um, all right, yeah, let's get down to the next question. Oh, boom, real quick, random, real quick, random, random, we gonna get back. How do you feel about this guy? How do I feel about him? Yeah, oh tell us how you God. feel about this man right here. I feel really angry and kind of like sad, like deeply sad. Like I'm like, how did this happen? You know? Um, 
And the thing is, like, I know how it happened. And I guess that also makes me sad where I'm like, wow, this is like we're doing all this work and this is still how the, you know, our city, this is who they elected. This is um, who they ele- and that's why I put them in that uniform I'm so like, people God can see. I'm like, goddamn. Like, I think people didn't know. <laughs> I mean, it's like my local libraries, like their hours are getting mm. cut, you know. Mm. Our schools were already getting cut so much. And it's, it's just like, youth. I think it's, I mean, everything's getting cut. But I think especially when I was like, oh, this library I used to always go to all the time, like, isn't open now. And that really was like, oh, well. Um, Because I think that that's a very direct, you know, showing of what's happening. But, um, yeah, it's insanely fucked. (laughs) It's insanely fucked. Yeah, I I just, um, yeah, that's what I said. That's the bamboo, you know, of 2020. The amount of military equipment that the NYPD has is so insane. 2029, 29 million. Uh, what is it, budget? Budget for their day? 29 million? Crazy. Crazy. Or and like they when they would from. follow like a, a really small march with a helicopter and they're spending like 2K on like every hour of fuel. And that's after like, he gives speeches about him protesting about the stuff. And, you, and it's crazy. It's crazy to see him now. Like on TV, talk about he's a black man, this, and he represents this for the black, but he's setting us back. No more cookouts on the sidewalk cookouts. No more sidewalk cookouts. Yeah. We got robots taken from the youth, taken from, you know what I mean? Everybody, taken from everybody. The elderly, everybody to fund, fund what he got on. And that's what I tell people, like, don't look at his color. Look at the uniform first. Look at, he's a cop first. He's not a black man first. He's a cop first. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. All right, um. I'm so sad. What? Yeah, it's sad, sad. <laughs> well, um, ah, all right. Politically speaking, how do you identify yourself? What do you mean by that question? As um, like like a, in a word, or if I all right. How do you identify yourself in a political? In way? a political, um, I identify myself. Politically, I don't think I'm, I'm, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm a rebel. <laughs> Politically, I'm a rebel. Rally rebel. I'm here, yeah, I'm here to, uh, I don't, I don't, that's where, you know, I, I, some people say you got to have a political stance and everything, but, um, politically, I'm an abolitionist. Yeah. I think yeah. I would say that too. I think I'm an abolitionist. And I think when I talk about being an abolitionist, it's also not just, not just the abolition of like, the prison industrial complex, not just the abolition of the cops, but it's like the abolition of like kind of what we were talking about before, like actual systems of culture and like abolition is creative. Abolition is also about building new things. Um, But yeah, the abolition of like our current ways of like addressing harm or like accountability. Um, Yeah, I think I also like, I'm not fully an anarchist, but I'm not, and I'm not like fully a communist, but like in the middle. There's a name for it, like anarcho-communism. Mm. Don't ask me too much about it. But yeah. I feel like I feel like that's kind of where I am, where it's like, I don't know. I don't think that I, I'm adhering to like one specific like political ideology, but I think I like certain things about many different political ideologies. Mm. Um, I need to read more, but I I, I do too <laughs> because um 
And we here, I, I, like, I, I've been out here. I got, um, yeah, I'm from the hood, so I don't, like, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm learning. There's a lot that I'm learning and stuff. Like, like I've changed since I've been out here, you know what I mean? And, and you know what I mean? That's, um, you know, learning from uh, everybody else's struggles and there, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, like, reading is really hard for me, you know? I'll, like, sit in front of a book for so long, and, like, I don't know what it's Oh, you get lost, you yeah. Know? Um, but I think kind of what you were saying, too, it's, like, if you are just, like, living life and you're, like, have your eyes open, mm-hmm. you're going to learn all the same lessons, yeah, you know? Yeah, eyes and open, ears I think open. reading is still really important. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I, I can't, like, define all these different political ideologies for you, but I know that, like, from what I've seen and stuff, mm-hmm. um... I think a lot of revelations I've just come to myself, I then like seen a book or something and I'm like, oh, I like, um, I aligned to that and I got aligned to that not by reading it first, but by like, like living and reflecting on yeah. my own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I like that. I'm going to say that next time. Yeah. It's like, how are you politically? I'm like, I'm an abolitionist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me see. Um. All right, why is housing justice Okay, hold on. Wait. Why is housing justice organizing a crucial part of this work? Um, yeah, I it's I'm a tenant organizer cuz I really think that right and and I say tenant organizing like something we often say at y'all is how like bricks don't bleed, um buildings don't cry, right? So we're not here like fighting for houses. We're not here to try to punish your landlord. We want to be building the power of tenants. Like, that's what the purpose is. You know, I'm not here to be like, oh, I want to, you know, landlords to go to jail. I don't believe in jail. You know, I'm not here being like, oh, we need more homes. I'm like, no, we need, like, it's the people that is what, ma- like, what matters. Um, but yeah, I, I do tenant organizing because I ultimately think that, like, housing is really, and, you know, like I was saying before, I was doing all of this different organizing and advocacy work. And um, I think I, I kind of, was brought to housing because I realized how housing is kind of the infrastructure mm-hmm. for all these other forms of oppression and all of these other issue areas are like deeply connected to housing. You know, it's like we don't have, you know, accessible transit um, because of racist urban planning and housing policy. You know, our schools are segregated because of housing policy. Um, and yeah, I think that if we really want to get into it, it's like we live in America. You know, we live under the system of racial capitalism where, like, this built this this country was built by people who, like, private property was their number one priority mm-hmm. and focus. And their private property included black people, right. right? And so I think that when I focus on housing because the entire idea of private property and property being a commodity that should be bought and sold... Um, like we have to be addressing that for our systems of like you know government racism and all these other things um i think the the our system of housing is really what's maintaining all of these other things you know mm-hmm. it's the infrastructure that's been created um to maintain that system so i think that that's really what brought that to me and it's kind of like that's why i also organize young people cuz it's like i think tenant organizers have like a really um sharp analysis of power they're they were able to be like oh this person like living in this house and their landlord and recognize the power dynamics between that 
um, and the power dynamics between people of different classes, different races. And to me, it's like, how can you be talking about someone that doesn't have power, doesn't have autonomy, and then not be including young people when it's like, I think globally, you know, young people have the least amount of autonomy and power over our own bodies and where we live and these things. So I think that, yeah, being able to organize more young people into the tenants movement um, and realize that housing justice is their issue too mm -hmm. um, will ultimately make the larger movement so much more powerful because um, there's this giant class of people who, you know, historically have always been the ones to like start and maintain new social movements um, and they're like not even including them in their movement, you know, mm. when it's like they are tenants just like everyone else, you know? Yeah. Housing is a human right. <laughs> Word up. Um, what, all right. So you were, you were organizing before 2020, mm -hmm. right? All right. So 2020 happens. Boom. Occupy City Hall happens. That's where I met you at. Yeah. What can you has all right since you've been organizing, has things felt different since twenty twenty hit? Or have is has it like, you know what I mean, went back to how it felt regular? Have it has it has it made a big change since you've been organizing? Or has it like it you know what I mean? Went right back yeah. to how it felt before twenty twenty hit. I think that like since twenty twenty in terms of like mutual aid and things like that it's been way different mm -hmm. i think a lot of people are way more focused on you know that type of organizing and like mutual aid and being able to like be building more community and getting to know your neighbors and feeding yeah. people and things like that i think that in other spaces like um that are focused on like policy or like member-led organizations and stuff, I feel like organizing now seems almost like a little dead. Yeah. I think that people are like really burnt out. I think that since 2020, there's been a lot, so much sensitivity around like political correctness and we're never actually getting to like the root of it. Mm. We're just like doing this funny dance with like words that sound good, but ultimately everyone's just like a neoliberal cloud chasing capitalist yeah. who are now using the movement in 2020 yeah. and the movement for black lives to just like be a bigger bitch like <laughs> yeah. i don't know how else to say <laughs> like you know oh, so, so i think much. that for I a lot crazy of on this mic. i think that a lot of organizers like it's just fucking tiring now because yeah. it's yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and i think a lot of people also like the non-profit industrial complex is real and people are getting stuck in it there's hmm. a lot of really talented organizers who are getting hella burnt out doing shit like writing grants and they're not organizing yeah you know? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, which yeah. is why we need mutual aid yeah you know? exactly because exactly, if yeah. we could we could fund this shit ourselves um exactly, we can reclaim yeah. our own space yeah but that's 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 what we're trying to get to hopefully yeah it's uh destroy and rebuild time but yeah that's what um that's what i think burns out a lot of uh organizers that's dedicated and passionate about doing the work is the you know what I mean the people that come in for the capitalist part of yeah. it um but yeah we about to wrap it up I just want to say um dag 
Thank you for being one of my first guests. Yeah, you thank like, you for having me. Yeah, you inspire a lot of people out here. You inspire me. Like, you know, to see how young you are and out here doing the work and, and doing what you're doing. Um, and how, yeah, passionate, like, that's what that's what I'm saying. Like, um, since I've been out here in 2020, it's been people that's it's been nonstop. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're one of them. Like, and that's, and, and I that's, also think that, like, with Rally, it's, <laughs> to me, all of organizing is about, like, having deep relationships with one another. And all of organizing or just, like, working toward our collective liberation, however that, like, looks um, or whatever you want to call it, you know, is, like, taking care of one another and um, doing your own internal work and, yeah, yeah, really, like, building community. And I think that you are the center of, like, so much community. And, you know, and you, you, like, build and deepen so many relationships with like you and other people, but also like other people and other people, you know? Um, So I think it's like also a really beautiful thing. And I think that that's like one of the most important transformative parts. Uh, So I'm always grateful to be here. Yeah, that's what I, I, it's just, um, you know, when I I came out here, you know, I'm from Jersey and I I came out here and I've had my boom fair share where I was like, I want to get out of here. But like I said, it's people like you that went like boom because you're you're dedicated. You're here. You're still doing the work, and we still have the same bond and relationship. You know what I? You know what I mean? It's just like boom. Just you find the people that's passionate about doing the work, and it might you know what I mean? It might be a hundred of us come out, but it might only be like five of us still like just ah still you know what I mean? And I'm just glad that you're one of those people and still out here doing what you're doing and it's inspiring. So fire! Thank you and um. Is there anything that you want to plug before um, we... Yeah. Yes, of course. How do, how do we support um, Emma? So Youth Alliance <laughs> for Housing, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, at Youth4, like the number four, housing. Right now, we are starting to launch like our own, our first like solo campaign outside of coalition spaces. Um, and it's a campaign for student tenant rights. And so for a long time, we were kind of working with other coalitions always the only like youth-centered group in those coalitions, except for this one coalition we created where it's like only youth-centered groups, but, um, and, yeah, so before that we were, you know, we made a zine, we were doing a lot of base building, a lot of trainings, a lot of workshops, and now we are kind of in a spot where we're like, yo, we wanna run our own campaign. Um, And so a lot of our member base, you know, I think like, young not all young people are students mm-hmm. um i think often people want to use those terms synonymously when that's like not true yeah. um and we define young person as like anyone who's 25 or younger um but we're saying like you know universities are some of the most violent and most powerful slumlords in this country you know mm-hmm. in new york the biggest private property owner in the city is columbia university yeah. the biggest private property owner in the state is nyu um, and so running this campaign where we're, my vision, my, my like dream would be to like incubate tenant unions at universities across the country. Um, and, but to start, what we're doing is we're targeting SUNYs, which are the state universities of New York. Oh, it's the biggest public school university system in the country. It's like 1.3 million students or something. Um, and we're first doing the survey. So I guess here's where my plug is. My plug is to like, if you, um, if you currently, or if you have ever lived on university housing, um, to fill out our survey, tinyurl.com slash student tenant. So first we want to hear from folks about their experiences as, um, someone who lives in, 
like school housing. Um, you know, it's like a lot of students, you are paying all of this money to live in dorms and these things, mm -hmm. but then your housing contract, you know, you're renting housing. You know, your school is your landlord, but it's not recognized like that. Your housing contract isn't recognized as a real lease, mm -hmm. even though you now have a student, like a, like a tenant to landlord relationship with your school. And, but then what they can do is like, they basically evict you out of your room during um, school breaks. Um, they can like enter and exit your room whenever they want. Um, you know, like I was living in this house at school and like the power went out for a few hours. And then they like went into our house and threw out everything in our fridge. Cause they like, we'll be liable if y'all get sick cause something wasn't refrigerated. Mm. We're like, damn, like my ice cream would have froze again. Like these people just like went into our house and threw out everything in our fridge. Like how was that? And no, that's you know? And then not only that, but they are gentrifying entire communities. You know, you, you can look at what Columbia has done to Harlem, what NYU has done yeah. downtown. Um, and then they get to police and surveil their own campuses with their own private police forces. Um, they exploit their workers. And we're really trying to run this campaign not to just be like, yo, students need to have tenant protections at school. But also to be like, you know, the university is not this like nonprofit space of like learning, whatever. Um, they're a really powerful and like violent institution, you know, and they're doing all of this with loans they got from the government. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Fill out our survey um, with those survey responses. We'll be writing like a student tenants bill of rights. Um, so yeah, just keep an eye out and support because we're definitely going to need a lot of help. Yep. What um plug your plug your Instagram. Oh, my Instagram. Yeah. Um, tell them where they find you at, and then tell them where to find y'all. Emma, Emma yeah. Ray Hack. E M M A R E H A C. But just go follow y'all. Youth for housing. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, shout out to Emma, man. Thank you, Emma. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. All right, y'all. That was Emma. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Um, Emma organized with y'all so uh make sure y'all hit that hit that organization up they um that's you for lions housing so yeah hit them up on uh on the ground i believe you can see the tag there um and uh oh we're gonna do our call outs all right uh y'all already know we the people every thursday starting at one um one until one is done one until it's done um we got watch the square park still every friday what's that what time it started at five o'clock i think five o'clock um, and every single Thursday at 7 p.m., we meet at Stonewall to rally up and educate the people and then take the streets in March. Talk about Stonewall was right. Um, this week, all right, so, yeah, this episode comes out Monday, so y'all will see this. But um, uh, by the time y'all see this, just know Thursday we will be marching for um, what happened last week with mm -hmm. Catwin and Daniela. Mm -hmm. So that will be going on. Thursday at Stonewall was right, so pull up for that at 7 o'clock at Stonewall Inn. And hold space with us, with the families of Eric Dupree as well. They're going to come back out and share his story, and Kedwin and Danielle are also going to share theirs. Right. See y'all then. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> Bye.